everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and I hope you're having a fine time on this delightful whenever the heck it is you're listening to this. You know what? Take some time and congratulate yourself on deserving to have such a nice time. I'm assuming you deserve it. Our listeners are wonderful people, as far as I know. Oh, shit. I hope none of you are evil. Do you guys think any of our listeners are evil? Oh, man. I mean, statistically, probably. There's getting to be a lot of you. Hey, guys. If you're evil, knock it off. Thanks. The more you know. That's my own little uh, public service announcement. All right. Well done, guys. I, uh, I got nothing else right now. I was trying to think right before I started recording this about what's something funny I can talk about. And my brain did the same dumb thing it does whenever I sit down and think that, which is for the first five minutes or so, all I can think of is bears, bears, bears are funny. Is there anything about bears I can say? And then me trying to tell myself to shut up because I've already exhausted anything about bears that might be funny if bears are even funny to begin with. So, yeah, that's a little window into how my brain works, is whenever I try to think of anything funny, I'm just like, bears, bears, what about bears? Bears are, um, and then the rest of the time going, stop thinking about bears. Stop it. There's nothing there. It's not, it's not bears. You can't just say bears. So hopefully me just saying bears that many times will exhaust that from my mind as a possible comedic topic. In summation bears. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Lucas Brown, whose podcast, The Math of You, I was just listening to before I started recording this. Pudding roll-ups are forgotten by the snacking biz. Only 80s kids remember this synopsis. Thanks, Lucas. And thanks for putting the pudding roll-ups theme song into my head theme song, more of a commercial jingle. Mm, but it's a theme song to our lives. Defenders, number 25, June 1975. In the Jaws of the Serpent. Written by Steve Gerber, drotted by Sal Buscema, inked by Bob McLeod, lettered by Tom Orzachowski, colored by Phil Rachelson, and edited by Len Wein. Edited? Hmm. Combination of too much caffeine and a pudding roll-ups jingle is a heady brew. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. Valkyrie. Yellow Jacket. Nighthawk. The Hulk. Clea. Daredevil. Luke Cage. Power Man. And Son of Satan. Previously in The Defenders. Valkyrie was strolling through the Lower East Side of Manhattan when she heard a cry for help. Turned out that a giant sewer rat was about to eat a baby. Valkyrie slew the rabid rodent and invited the infant's mother, Elena, to come stay with her at Steve's place for a couple of days. Elena accepted the offer, and Hulk played with the baby, which was fucking adorable. Hooray! The defenders accompanied Elena back to the dilapidated tenement building she had lived in to fetch some of her belongings, only to find that the structure had been burned to the ground. It turned out that a group of snake-themed white supremacist assholes who called themselves the Sons of the Serpent had burned down the rat-infested residence, presumably due to the fact that most of the occupants thereof were black and Latinx. What a bunch of assholes! 
Because of shit like this, I decided last issue that alliteration was too good for scum like the Sons of Serpent, and I was going to stop calling them that and start calling them the turd-licking shit weasels. The Defenders briefly fought the turd-licking shit weasels, but then Doctor Strange got worried that the fighting would spread and lead to a race riot. So he decided to quell the potential rioters by whipping both sides indiscriminately with fire hoses. Problematic! The turd-licking shit weasels fled, swearing vengeance against the Defenders as they did so. Our heroes returned to the Sanctum Sanctimonious to regroup and were soon joined by diminutive do-gooder Hank Pym, a.k.a. Well, a.k.a. a lot of things, but most pertinent to our purposes, a.k.a. Yellow Jacket. While generally not overly observant of rules of etiquette, the insectoid Avenger knew better than to arrive at a gathering without a gift for the host, so he brought along the unconscious body of one of the turd-licking shit weasels he found lurking nearby. Emily Post would approve. Nighthawk interrogated the captive Crumbum, who revealed, well, not very much, but did mention that the TLSW's leader, the Shit Weasel Supreme, would be hijacking the television airwaves and holding a press conference at midnight. You know, midnight, the most popular TV viewing hour. The Defenders had just stuffed their captive in one of Steve's magic closets in case they might come in handy later when they noticed a shadowy figure lurking outside. Suspecting it was another one of the turd lickers, Hank fired his fancy new bowel-disrupting, I mean cell-disrupting, but to be fair, probably also bowel-disrupting, gone at the probable prowler. Rather than the perhaps more literal-than-usual shit weasel the Defenders expected to find, the lurker turned out to be... Jack Norris. Jack introduced himself as the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body the mystically created Scandinavian sword slinger Valkyrie is currently inhabiting. Val shared none of Barbara's memories or personality, which made Jack angry and confused and made Val sad. Bummer. But the existentially enigmatic Norse warrior had little time to mope because it was midnight. The gang tuned into The Tonight Show just in time to see Carson's face replaced by that of the shit weasel supreme. The Serpentor wannabe stood in front of a don't tread on me flag and gave a super racist speech that was ended by saying the TLSWs were going to start a race war now starting in New York City. Sure enough, as soon as the speech ended there was a huge explosion outside from a city block being bombed on the Lower East Side. Hank and the Hulk rushed off to fight the weasels and rescue citizens. Well, Val, Steve, and Kyle rushed off to question a slumlord they suspected might be in league with the turd lickers. Hank Pym hurt his ankle and was quickly captured by the shit weasels. When the slumlord interrogation proved fruitless, the trio of crestfallen questioners hurried to rejoin their companions in a cathodic weasel stomp. But no dice. No sooner were the defenders reassembled than they were ambushed by an assemblage of turd-licking shit weasels and blasted with some surprisingly high-tech ray guns. Valkyrie, Nighthawk, and Doctor Strange were knocked out immediately and taken captive. The Hulk smashed on heroically, but was eventually overwhelmed by hundreds of raygun blasts and animatronic snakes. Unable to hoist the unconscious green goliath, the turd-licking shit weasels slinked back to their lair, taking the rest of the defenders with them as their captives. Gadzooks! Will our dynamic defenders escape the clutches of their coprophagic captors? With the majority of our heroes out of the picture, who will pinch hit for our imprisoned protagonists? And will I get tired of saying the phrase turd-licking shit weasels? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so as of the end of this issue, no. I would refer you to the defensive lineup I recited immediately preceding the previously in the defenders part. And not yet, but we'll see how this synopsis goes. Our captured heroes, Nighthawk, Valkyrie, Yellowjacket, and Doctor Strange, awaken to find themselves in the turd-licking shit weasel's secret lair, trussed up to some poles by some entwined metal snakes. Well, three of them awaken to find that. Steve is still snoozing. 
One of the shit weasels does his obligatory villainous exposition dump for the benefit of the non-sleeping captives. It turns out that the weasel's plan for white supremacy is as follows. The turd-licking shit weasels and their followers will burn down the ghettos in every city, forcing the non-white residents to flee to the suburbs where they will be viewed as an invasive threat and murdered by white suburban residents. Man, fuck those guys. Valkyrie is appropriately aghast at the inhumanity and brutality of their plan. Yellowjacket is incredulous as to how short-sighted and illogical their bigotry is. Kyle says that they shouldn't bother to debate the white supremacists because it's a waste of time. Huh. I give Nighthawk a bunch of shit, but every once in a while he says something that makes sense. Oh, wait, never mind. He goes on to say that rather than debate Nazis, we should probably just ignore them and hope that they go away. What the fuck, dude? Bad Kyle! Fortunately, Valkyrie has an alternative approach to Kyle's suggestions of closing his eyes and saying, everything's fine, everything's fine. The enraged Asgardian Amazon flexes real hard and shatters the steel serpents that bound her in place. She then proceeds to start whooping the fuck out of her captors. Hooray! You know what? Once more for good measure. Hooray! Unfortunately, Val's delightful racist clobbering rampage is short-lived. After unmasking one of the turd-licking shit weasels, she is shocked to learn that the weasel in question is a woman. As a subclause in the enchantment that created her, Valkyrie is unable to intentionally harm another female. Momentarily unsure how to proceed, the Norse warrior hesitates, and is gunned down from behind by an opportunistic, ray-gun-wielding shit weasel. Boo! The TLSWs drag her off, proclaiming that she will be the first to die. Meanwhile, back at the Sanctum Sanctimonious, a de-hulkified Bruce Banner is filling in Wong and Cleon what he remembers of recent events. Jack Norris is still hanging around and is all like, I'm confused and angry. I don't know who any of you are or what's happening, but as the only white dude in the room who's wearing a shirt, I should be in charge and everyone should do what I say. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you America. Okay, it's not a perfect metaphor because nobody listened to Jack. Hooray! Clea uses her mystical powers to send us mental summons to some superheroes who have aided the Defenders in the past. Please no Hawkeye, please no Hawkeye, please no Hawkeye, please no Hawkeye. Her first mental summons is sent to the far-off mystical realm of St. Louis, Missouri. It reaches one Damon Hellstrom, a.k.a. the Son of Satan. They call him that on account of his dad is Satan. Fair enough. Damon throws on his Dracula cape over his bare pentagram-tattooed chest, grabs his magic pitchfork, climbs into his flaming chariot drawn by three demon horses with snakes for butts, and flies off to New York to see if he can help out. I guess what I'm saying is, Son of Satan is fucking rad! Next, Clea turns her magical attention to Hell's Kitchen, New York, and reaches out to Daredevil, informing him of the Defender's need for assistance. Dee Dee is like, Okay, sure, but I better be the only hero there with a devil motif. Sorry, buddy. Clea next attempts to contact Namor, the Submariner, but before she is able to reach the Prince of Abslantis, she gets wanged by some kind of mystical feedback and passes out. Bummer. Maybe Namor has call blocking set up for messages coming from the Sanctorum. Can't say as I'd blame him. Anyway, seeing as mystical means of communication are out of the question, Bruce Banner puts on his big boy purple jorts and phones up the one hero listed in the yellow pages. Luke Cage, hero for hire. Hooray! 
Cage is initially hesitant to believe Banner's story, but seeing as he was planning on punching the crud out of the turd-licking shit weasels anyway, he figures he may as well see if Bruce and his pals are on the level. The three newly recruited reinforcements arrive at the Sanctum Sanctimonious at the same time, and despite the fact that they are all superheroes and haven't worked together before, they somehow manage to avoid having a misunderstanding instigated Donnybrook. What? This is unprecedented. Back at the TLSW's headquarters, Steve, Hank, and Kyle have been left unattended. Hank was previously unable to shrink down all tiny on account of his ankle hurt, but now his ankle feels better, so he shrinks down all tiny and slips out of his bonds. Inspector Insector next tries to free Kyle, but no dice. Those metal snakes are too made of metal. Steve is still snoozing it up, so Hank decides to scout around and see if he can get some help. Unfortunately, the aforementioned antificionado doesn't get very far before he encounters a thick plexiglass window. Turns out, the base is on the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. Our heroes are being held captive under the sea. Well, you know what they say. The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. Brief note, if you don't think I just took a break from writing and sang the entire soundtrack of The Little Mermaid to myself, then you really don't know me at all. Anyway, back in the Sanctum, the Legion of Substitute Defenders have hauled the captive shitweasel out of Steve's magic closet so that they can start questioning him. Damon puts some kind of psychic whammy on the dude, but just when he is about to blab the whereabouts of the shitweasel's base, he gets a goofy look on his face and starts spouting a bunch of nonsense word salad. Apparently, the turdlickers had programmed some kind of barriers to hypnosis into their minions. Luke Cage attempts to work around this hypnotically implanted defense by beating the living crap out of the dude. Hooray! Sometimes a low-tech solution is what a situation like this calls for. Unfortunately, before Luke's method has much of a chance to work, the pummeling is interrupted by a cry from the other room. Steve's houseguest Elena has been watching TV and finds the images on it most alarming. Was it an episode of Beretta? If so, I get it. No? It turns out what Elena saw was even more disturbing than Robert Blake and his fucking cockatoo. The turd-licking shitweasels had again hijacked the airwaves. And this time, they intended to burn Valkyrie alive on national television while she is shackled to an upside-down cross. Damn. That's... Wow. For all their innumerable faults, the turd-licking shitweasels certainly have a flair for the dramatic. When Jack Norris sees this, he bursts out the door and runs down the street. Bye, Jack. The Hulk hulks out and goes leaping into the action, followed closely by Daredevil, who swings behind on his baton grappling hook thingy that has never made a lick of sense to me. Son of Satan gives Luke Cage a ride in his flaming chariot drawn by snake-butted demon horses. The heroes arrive at the scene of the press conference slash execution, just as the turd-licking shit weasels are about to light Val on fire. Well, the Hulk and Daredevil arrive. Luke and Damon almost arrive, but just when they're about to land, the snake-butted horses, the flaming chariot, and the superheroes therein all disappear unexpectedly into some kind of a portal. So, by Luke and Damon, Daredevil and the Hulk start clobbering the shit weasels. Hooray! Then, not hooray. A couple of the turd-licking shit weasels sneak up on Daredevil and club him over the head. Then a different shit weasel shoots the Hulk in the face with some kind of super intense flashlight, blinding the enraged Emerald Avenger. 
the turd-licking shitweasels appear once again victorious and are about to light Valkyrie on fire. Damn. To be continued. Man, I really hate those turd-licking shitweasels. Oh, and in answer to the previous question, no, I'm still not tired of calling them that. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm a little bit pissed off that we don't get to see Namor. That's how I'm doing. That is fair. I was going to ask you how you liked the uh, issue, but I, I think I've got some early results from that inquiry. Yep. Otherwise, um, perfectly enjoyable. I don't know. Not a ton happens, but it was fun. I, I had kind of a similar sentiment. Also a little bit disappointed we don't get to see Namor, but somewhat mitigated by the fact that we did get to see two of my favorites. Kind of three of my favorites. We got your Luke Cage Power Man, who mm-hmm. I freaking love. He said good things, too. He, he said did. funny things. He did. Including Sweet Christmas, which uh, I'm always happy when I get to see that. I missed his Sweet Christmas. We all miss his Sweet Christmas. No, I, I don't know where he oh. said that in the book. Maybe he just said Christmas. I'll take a look. Again. He said Sweet Sister. That's good, too. And he called people Baby. Yep. <laughs> or sugar. Did he call somebody sugar, too? We also get to see Son of Satan, who I like. And he's part of the reason that I didn't mind that Namor didn't show up, because we'll definitely talk more about this later, and I'm just going to leave this here and we'll get back to it. Son of Satan is, in my mind, a perfect mashup of Namor and Steve. Oh. And we also get to see Daredevil, who was one of the first heroes that I really liked, and I thought he was done pretty well in this, too. He was. So that was nice. I do wish we had gotten to see Namor, but you know who else we didn't see that it was teasing that we would? Hawkeye and the Silver Surfer. So, I'm okay. As you said, I feel like not a ton happened in this issue. At the beginning of the issue, the Defenders were taken captive by the Sons of Serpent. At the end of the issue, the Defenders are still captive by the Sons of Serpent. Yep. But what we did get, which I am a total sucker for, is a we're putting the gang together kind of montage Mm -hmm. episode, which I'm a sucker for that. And I liked all of the characters that were involved in it. So, yeah, it was kind of a nothing burger of a issue, but I found it to be a pretty tasty nothing burger. That's fair. Yeah. Well, let's uh, get into the meat of the nothing Nothing burger. burger. (laughs) (laughs) So, the issue opens, we get to learn a little bit more of what the Sons of the Serpent's plan is. It is a fucked up plan. It is a super fucked up plan. Yeah, it's gross. Basically, they want to almost replicate white fl- the white flight that happened with white people moving out of inner cities to the suburbs. Except for the white people are now already established in the suburbs. They want to burn down every low-income housing that they can get their hands on, forcing minorities to flee into the suburbs with the assumption that they will not be greeted kindly by the white suburbs who they are hoping will just kill them when they arrive. Yeah, they frame it as a binary. They say either they will accept this, you know, exodus as refugees, or they will kill them all. Yeah, which, I mean, honestly, we're seeing... It's not through necessarily violent arson, but we're seeing shades of that happening right now, where where there is, as the inner cities are getting gentrified, low-income people are being pushed out further into the suburbs, and 
It certainly isn't going particularly smoothly for everyone involved, but nor is it that kind of a, a fierce binary where it's either they are, are greeted as refugees or are murdered. It, it's more much like what was happening when low-income people were living in inner cities. They are largely being ignored. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, the Sons of the Serpent, despite their rhetoric, didn't really think the race war thing through all the way, meaning that they would need to do probably more to incite the level of violence that they're hoping is going to yeah. ensue. Either way, fucking gross, gross plan. Bunch of assholes, man. Yeah. I do not care for them. Good, good yes. <laughs> As I, I, yes. <laughs> yeah, and from now on, just for clarity's sake, I am going to refer to them as turd-licking shit weasels, uh, which is the fun <laughs> nickname I came up with for them. In the last synopsis that Doesn't I sound that as I wrote, cool as Sons of the Serpent. Yeah, and I don't think they deserve to sound as cool as Sons of the Serpent does. Also, it is difficult when I'm taking notes. My shorthand for Son of Satan is SOS, mm -hmm. and so they can't both be SOS. If only one of them gets that, then it's gonna be the Son of Satan. Sure, yeah. Although Damien Hellstrom also a pretty cool name. So they are T T L S W. T-L-S-W's. Yes. Got it. That's, for whatever reason, that is reminding me of the S-1-W's, which they are definitely not. What is the S-1-W? Oh, that was Public Enemy Security of the First World. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember those yeah, guys. Yeah, they're pretty different. I suspect those two would, uh, <laughs> would, would not, not see eye to eye on a number of issues. They may not get along. But yeah, fuck the Sons of the Serpent. I hate them so much. They seem to be relatively competent, despite perhaps the, gosh, naivete seems to be the wrong word, but the narrow-sightedness of their plan. Mm -hmm. They seem to be pretty competent as supervillains for the most part. I guess in part because, ironically, of their inclusivity? Mm. Like, I mean, for a white supremacist group, they really end up, at least in the short term, triumphing over the defenders that they have captured because they have decided to allow women in their group. True. Which brings us to Valkyrie. She was rad as fuck in this issue. She was, and I am so glad her hair isn't as flammable as hair usually seems to be. So yeah, what you're referring to is there is scenes towards the end where she is upside down crucified and hung over a fire because whatever their other shortcomings, as one character points out in this, the sons, I'm sorry, the turd-licking shit weasels, do have a fine sense of drama. Indeed. Which, once again, does lead me to believe that perhaps their media director is Morrissey. Um, it was something I brought up in a previous synopsis. You really should listen to these episodes, Corey. I put a lot of work into them. I know. I, and whenever I listen, I'm like, oh, this is really good. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. My reasoning being, like, they're going to hold their press conferences at midnight leads me to believe that their media director is a goth. And what goth racist do we know? Morrissey. Morrissey. There we go. So, she, yeah, Val is suspended upside down over a fire on an inverted cross. And her hair, thankfully, is not lit on fire, with, despite it being really close to the flames. Also, her cloak is not lit on fire. I think her cloak may be made out of some kind of a mystical flame retardant material. That's metal as fuck. Oh, yeah. Have we, having flame retardant cloak? No, like just that image, now that I think of it, of like Valkyrie upside down on a cross with fire underneath. Yeah. It's like, that's a serious heavy metal badass stuff. I hope she gets out. 
I, I think we all do. Yeah. But speaking of Valkyrie getting out, she just like fucking hooks up and busts out of the staff of Cadicus restraints that the sons of Sir, I'm sorry, the turd licking shit right. results have her in. And it's awesome. It is. And they don't believe that she could have done that because frankly, it's pretty unbelievable. Like these are made out of metals. Even somebody who is mighty enough to possess the strength of two strong men. Yeah, he couldn't get out. He couldn't get out of there. Mm-hmm. Not even working in conjunction with Yellow Jacket. Yeah. But Valkyrie just like, she just kind of flexes and is just like, fuck you guys. I'm pissed. I hate turd licking shit weasels and fucking bust these metal snakes open that had been holding her to this stick and starts just whooping everybody. And I think would have whooped everyone in the compound, except one of the shit weasels gets unmasked and it turns out it's a woman and we are reintroduced for the first time in quite some time to Valkyrie's kryptonite, which is that she is unable, due to the terms of Enchantress's spell, to ever physically harm another woman. Mm-hmm. Which I like. I like that we are reintroduced to that. Frankly, part of the reason we haven't seen that weakness brought up in a while is because Val, for the past almost year or so of these comic books, has been just not doing a ton of a lot physically. So I like that we get to see her her flexing a little bit, both literally and metaphorically. And I like the idea that bringing that weakness back up really does drive home that Val was originally intended to be like a feminist avatar. And so I like that we're reintroduced to that a little bit. And I just like Valkyrie. I kind of wish she had been able to punch that lady. I wish she had been able to punch that lady too, or at least hadn't been shocked into being like, oh, it's a woman and I can't punch you. So now I'm gonna I'll just kind of give up. It's one of those things where... It's over-explained, and it is a moment where it's, if we were doing it in a new Teen Titans book, that would be a uh, show-and-tell moment, mm-hmm. where she sees the woman and then explains to us, the audience, oh, here's what's happening here. I think part of the reason this comes up so much in these episodic comic books is fundamentally the way people read comic books has changed so much in the last few years, in that now people tend to read them more as trade paperbacks or they are prepared to be read as trade paperbacks and as full stories whereas back when these were written it really was more of a matter of if you find this one at the newsstand this is the one you read and there's less i mean there's certainly ongoing storylines and ongoing continuity because they want you to buy all of the issues but there really is more of an idea of somebody who doesn't know what's happened before might be picking this up and mm-hmm. so let's reintroduce these concepts. I kept, I think, thought when we re- got to that panel, oh, if you were writing this today, I think it could have just been written as Val unmasks the person. You assume everyone who is reading this is familiar with what has happened with Val before. And she could just see that it's a woman and just be like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And that could have been her dialogue. And then she gets beat up from behind because she was momentarily surprised. So I think the format of the way that comic books are released really affects how they are read and affects the way that some of the dialogue and internal or external works in these cases. Indeed. So, switching things for a bit. (laughs) 
<laughs> Pretty smooth segue, huh? Pretty smooth. <laughs> yeah. Switch them things up. Uh, yeah, let's go from a character who I really was impressed by in this issue to a character who impressed me not at all. Jack Norris. Fuck that guy. Where did he end up going? Just outside. I he guess just ran he just, the door and be yeah. Like, ah! I think he decided, he's like, I'm going to go save Valkyrie myself. And yeah, just like pushes everybody out of the way and runs off. I hate Jack Norris. Like, where are you going, Jack? I understand being impulsive in a situation you see someone that you love or someone inhabiting the body of someone you love who is in danger and you want to rush in and save them and you're not thinking clearly. Okay, I get that. What upset me more than anything is his whole reaction to the situation he finds himself in from the beginning, which is... I don't understand what's going on. I don't know who any of you people are or what's happening, but I'm still going to assume that I know better than you about all of this shit. Hmm. Wait, what bothers you about that? (laughs) Fair enough. Really, the crux of what bothers me about it is I am incredibly frustrated when anyone decides to trust their own assumptions over other people's experience. And that is essentially what he is doing. It's shitty. It's he. He doesn't listen. He's like, I don't know what's going on here, but you guys are obviously doing things wrong, and I would have done things different. And why don't I get to run things? And I told her to leave you alone. Again, despite not knowing a who Valkyrie is and two who the other defenders are or what their relationship with her is, just marching into a situation completely blind and saying, "I told you so," and. I'll take care of this, even though I am almost uniquely amongst this group unqualified and unprepared to handle this situation, is I guess it's kind of good that Steve is unconscious this whole issue because it was like, there's like, oh, apparently nature abhors a vacuum of white privilege. (laughs) (laughs) Because here comes Jack Norris. There you go. So you don't really... Um, like Jack Norris. Yeah, that's essentially what I'm trying okay. to say. Okay. Yeah. Um, How did you like Jack Norris? Oh, yeah. Total shitbird. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yep. Funny, though, that same approach to solving the problem, like when Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk and is like, ah, save girl, and takes <laughs> off. Like, he fucking finds them. Yeah. And they get there. So, like, the Hulk is... I love the Hulk, but not the brightest star in the sky if he can find these people what is jack norris's well i think partly he's just a he doesn't have the hulk strength and might like the hulk yes he rushes into that situation but he actually once he got there he could do something about it i just mean how did they how did he get there he's faster i mean the hulk can jump like miles at a time but did they know where they were going from watching it on tv they were like oh yeah that's that place where they burn people (laughs) probably okay i mean I don't think it was like a secret. I think, let, let, let me take a look, because I'm, a, I, I don't think the problem was that Jack Norris didn't know where he was going. I think it was that like, hey, all these people have like some form of transportation, he, whether it be a chariot drawn by awesome horse snakes Yeah, he from hell. probably ran out to the street and then just couldn't get a cab. I think that makes probably the most sense. <laughs> like maybe that maybe the cab driver from before like saw him and was like, no, that's that peeping Tom from before. That's that fucking creep. I'm yeah, not giving I'm him not a giving ride. Him a ride. Fuck that. Got on the radio with those cabbie buddies. Hey, you see Jack Norris? Don't give that shitbird a ride. Yeah, no. I mean, they're 
They're standing near some kind of a statue, so there are obvious landmarks where they are doing the inverted cross effigy. I guess it's not an effigy. They're burning her in actuality, not in effigy. So I don't think finding her was that much of a problem. And yeah, I guess they're just all quicker than than Jack is, because, you know, they can leap or swing on their magic billy clubs or, you know, they have their ways of getting around. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, pretty good. Mm Mm-hmm. Where do you think Son of Satan and Luke Cage popped off to? They fell into a giant hole in the sky. They could be anywhere. Really? It's it's not really addressed. It happens towards the end of the book. I don't know if that's something that Son of Satan did on purpose. Mm. Or if it was some kind of... Maybe Steve woke up and transported them someplace. It, maybe it's related to whatever mystical nonsense prevented Clea from contacting Namor. It c- could be... Almost anything. Could be a trap. You think it's... Who could have laid such a trap? I don't know. Maybe the sons of the turd-licking weasels of shit? God, imagine <laughs> yeah. a person on their team. <laughs> sons of the turd-licking weasels of shit is even better than turd-licking shit weasels. That, I was trying to remember it, but... <laughs> Added one more letter to your It's acronym. like you're a barbarian who is saying a version of turd-licking shit weasels. These earth... Turd licking weasels of shit are confusing to one such as Cromnor. <laughs> That's a barbarian name I just invented. Cromnor. It's got good. Crom in it. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I can't just stop at Crom. That's a different guy. Yeah, that's a god. Yeah. God of the earth. Yeah, Cr- Cromnor means uh, Crom's buddy. <laughs> Crom's buddy. Yeah. Yeah. That old, that old guy. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good. Doesn't <laughs> like those weasels of shit, though. He does not. He does not like them at all. Uh, (laughs) You should probably take these shots. Oh, yeah. That seems like a good plan. We are clearly too cogent. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of today's episode is brought to you in part by Bullet Bourbon and Newcastle Brown Ale. Hank Pym does a pretty good job. His head hurts less, so he's able to shrink out of his... Staff of Cadacus. Am I pronouncing that wrong? Cadacus? Cadacious? I always get mixed up which one the osteopaths get to use and which ones the regular doctors get to use. I think it's the same. They both got snakes. They both got the two snakes turning on them. There's one that's a rod of Hermes. I think that one maybe has wings on it instead. Uh, Uh, It's also called the Staff of Mercury. I know there are subtle differences between them. One of them only has one snake. That is the one that doctors are supposed to use, but in the United States, it's more often the two snakes. Incidentally, the snake wrapped around a stick, part of the reason it might be associated with doctors is because that's how they used to get tapeworms out. They wrap a snake around a stick? Well, the tapeworm is the snake in this scenario. Oh. And they would tease out the head of the tapeworm and then tie it around a stick and very slowly wind it around the stick to pull it out of your body. That sounds quite unpleasant for everybody involved. Yup! Yeah, old-timey doctors were cuckoo. Ooh. Hey, I don't know how you say it. Okay, me either. Well, Hank does a pretty good job of escaping it. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. And then he calls Kyle on his shit. Which, I gotta say, in general, Kyle isn't being that bad in this issue. But I guess Hank is just tired of him in general. Because he just calls him, like, a spoiled rich brat. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that. It was nice. It was fun. 
And then he starts poking around to where the turd-licking shit weasels are keeping them. And it turns out that they are being held underwater in some kind of underwater prison. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, no, we're underwater. How will we ever escape? Do you think Namor will come and rescue them? I was them? just thinking that. I bet Namor's going to show It's a up. possibility. But when I first saw it, I just thought it was like, he was shocked. And he's like, oh, no, the turd-licking shit weasels have an aquarium. <laughs> yeah, I had that same thought, too. I was like, why is he so upset that there's just this wall with fish in it? Yeah, a lot of people have aquariums. Hey, like, a... that is by far not the worst thing the turd-licking shit weasels have done. It's a nice aquarium. Too. It's a really nice... Well, I mean, except for that it's held by the uh, turd-licking shit weasels. Well... Those are probably racist fish, Corey. <laughs> it's, they're ocean fish. It's not a real aquarium, man. <laughs> you know what my second thought was after I thought it was an aquarium? Hmm. Aquarium. More like aquarium. Now let's get into my favorite part of the issue, which I call... New Defenders? Mm. Question mark? We get Clea reaching out and trying to contact people who have acted as allies of the Defenders in the past. We mentioned a couple that didn't make the cut. She couldn't get through to Namor. Yep. And she had considered contacting Hawkeye and the Silver Surfer also. Well... She, the idea had been broached. They get little head bubbles. They get little bubbles that have their heads in them. I think when she saw the Hawkeye head bubble, though, she was like, no, fuck that. That's yeah. An asshole. I'm assuming that was the case. But we also get the fact that she was unable to contact Namor. And it is brought up that doing this spell was just kind of difficult. And any spell has potential backlash. Here's what I think the backlash of the spell was. She got into Steve's shit. I think maybe she accidentally saw Steve's mystical browser history. And was just <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> Just passed out. Yeah, I was like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> Perhaps especially when tried to use in conjunction with Namor. Oh, no. <laughs> Just a thought. But she does get through to Daredevil. So Daredevil's in this issue. He does a pretty good job. I talked about how the issue brought up previously Valkyrie's kryptonite. It also brings up Daredevil's blindness in a way that I feel like often gets ignored by writers when they are writing daredevil his radar sense and maybe this is just due more to when this came out but it is viewed as being so powerful that it not just compensates for his lack of sight but essentially completely replaces his lack of sight so that it gets to just be ignored the fact that he can't see for the most part and this does talk more about that and the ways that specifically he compensates for it and i enjoyed that mm -hmm. In general, I like the way Steve Gerber writes Daredevil. He was on the title for a little while. He wrote this weird period in Daredevil where Daredevil moved to San Francisco and was partners with the Black Widow that I found those issues to be really fun. And so I, I like Daredevil. I like the way Steve Gerber handles him. Mm -hmm. We next see that Clea contacts Son of Satan, who I freaking love and who, as I mentioned, I view as kind of a hybrid of Steve and Namor, both in appearance and in his mastery of certain mystical arts, and his arrogance, and his anger. And I, I really like that character, and I like how he works. I also like that at one point, Daredevil says, TV, what is everybody talking about? And his response is that he thinks Daredevil wants to know how television works. That was pretty funny. <laughs> and it's also, I can see Steve reacting totally that way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, except um, instead of deferring, he would have been like, well, there are signals in the air. I know all about how television works. I probably won't explain it to you right now. It's very complicated. But um, I know all about it and I won't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when, after that, she is about to con- try to contact Namor, but instead sees Steve's browser history and passes out. So Bruce Banner, and I love this, has the idea. He's like, you know what? I can just get out the yellow pages and call one of our other allies. So he calls Luke Cage. Mm -hmm. And it's rad. And Luke Cage at first answers the phone and is just like, what? I don't know any Bruce. Oh, you say you're the Hulk? Which I love that Bruce Banner is as cavalier with his secret identity as he is. Well, he needed Power Man's help. Yeah. But saying his secret identity didn't really do any good. He could have just said, hey, this is the Hulk's alter ego. Mm -hmm. Uh, or, hey, I really need your help. I'm friends with the Hulk. He really got his team Titan on there and kind of just was like, Mm -hmm. here's my secret identity for no reason. Mm -hmm. And I loved Power Man's reaction to that, just saying like, what? I don't know. Yeah, sure, you're the Hulk. And I'm George Wallace. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. I had looked up the timing on that. He was governor at the at the time. Still. He was governor forever. He was elected four times to be Alabama governor. He was, I think this was during his presidential run. Damn. Uh, but he was re-elected governor as late as like 81. What the fuck, Alabama? Jesus. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoyed that. I also a couple of issues ago in an episode of New Teen Titans, I talked about Cyborg and more or less every black character in a comic book through the Bronze Age having an almost weaponized form of street smarts or street sense. Mm. And that completely came up and it was almost explained canonically as such in the in the capacity of Luke Cage. Oh, yeah. Where he Daredevil, can just sense Daredevil yeah. about to tap him on the back and he's like, no, he has street smarts that are almost as good as, as Daredevil's radar. And it's just like, how do you think that works, Steve Gerber? Just like, well... He's black, so he has magical street powers. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> but that is the way it's, uh, I'm going to read it verbatim, but that is the way it is almost explained. Daredevil says, this fellow's street sense is as keenly honed as my radar sense. Because when he is about to tap Luke Cage on the back, Luke Cage says, before you tap that shoulder, sugar, identify yourself. I like that he calls him sugar. And I don't necessarily like, but I am amused by his preternatural street sense. Mm. Pretty good. Clea and uh, Damien have the same hairdresser. Oh, yeah. They're magic, so they both have a weird little, like, moon on the top of their head. Mm -hmm. In the case of Damien Hellstrom, I think it's supposed to represent his devil horns. But there were actually a fair amount of people who had that little, like, half-moon aqua-netted into, the, into their bangs at the time that I'm kind of curious if it was a actual look that was going around then. What a pain that would be. No kidding. But, like, Quicksilver had it, too, whenever he shows up, which it must have been, like, super-hold aqua-net in his case because he's running around at super speed and maintaining that little, mm-hmm. little moon horns there. But yeah, good call. I didn't even notice that. I think maybe part of why I didn't notice it was because it's so ubiquitous among comic book characters then that it it almost ceases to be an aberration. But yeah, good call. It is a weird hairstyle. It is. Also, 
I found it amusing that Bruce Banner opts not to put any shirts back on. <laughs> He's just like that one guy who's like, don't spend all day in the gym to walk around with a shirt on. I want everybody to see this. I think that may be part of it. I think maybe he just used up his monthly shirt budget. You know what? It's just not fucking worth it. What are those purple pants made of anyway? Have anybody ever figured that out? Um, unstable molecules, I'm assuming. Oh, like spandex? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but he only had enough to make part of the shorts out of it. Okay. Which is why he always ends up with unintentional jorts, mm-hmm. which I love. Yep. You ready to get into the minutiae? Let's hit it, Rick. We got minutiae. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutiae. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutiae. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Yes. That sounded great. Yes, always. So, I think what we were talking about right before we got into the minutiae song segues nicely into sartorially speaking. Sure. Sartorially speaking, what incidents of fashion in this issue do you think are worthy of note? I had written down that Doctor Strange's and company's house guest, Elena, yes, who they rescued in previous issues, looked nice, had some green jeans. Sure, always a good look. Mm-hmm. And a stripy orange top, looked very 70s. Looked very 70s, looked a little bit reminiscent of uh, the Sandman, the Spider-Man villain. Oh. I mean, he, he had a green shirt and I think probably purple pants. But still stripy shirt, solid colored pants. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it was groovy. It was a groovy look. She pulls it off well. She does. She does. We talked earlier about, or I talked earlier, about Son of Satan being a Steve Namor mashup. Mm-hmm. Sartorially, that is certainly the case. He has Namor's disdain for shirts and Steve's love of Dracula capes. And a pentagram tattooed on his tummy. More of his chest. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I was wondering if that was a tattoo or just a mystical... Or a birthmark. Yeah. I mean, that's the devil. Mm -hmm. He would get along with Raven pretty well. They would get along great. Or they would hate each other. Narcissism of small differences and all. Oh. He does have... He's got two heartbeats because, much like Raven, he is trying to suppress his uh, inner... Trigon. Demon. And, yeah, Mm -hmm. his inner Trigon. He's trying to let Trigons be bygones. (laughs) with generally imperfect success, although he does a good job in this issue. But yeah, I I kind of liked and was confused by the fact that that is a literal second person that lives inside of him. Mm -hmm. But well noted by Daredevil. Oh, and also, uh, Son of Satan, pointy ears like Namor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's that. And he's got a, a trident, which sometimes Namor has too. Whoa. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. His horses live underwater. Do they? Isn't there a scene in which he calls them from a lake? Oh, shit, yeah. Mm. Good call. They got snake butts, too. I don't think that necessarily <laughs> relates. What? Hey, man, that horse has got a snake butt. <laughs> it does. All three of them do. Whoa. Yeah, crazy. That's how you know they're evil. Okay. <laughs> Other fashion things that are definitely of note. I actually got a email from friend of the show, Brad Reed, discussing the extent to which yellow jackets like wings or shoulder pads or shoulder blade things keep getting bigger and bigger. I think part of the reason he was taken unawares in the previous issue after he hurt his ankle, dude has no peripheral vision. Oh, because of his shoulder things. Yeah, because of his 
things there. And yeah, they keep getting bigger and bigger. I think it was partly they couldn't decide if they were wings or not. Mm. But I kept thinking, I think the heading of Brad's article was, look to your left, look to your right, tell me what do you see. I picture him being in that, like, law class where, like, look to your left, look to your right. By the end of the semester, one of those people won't be here. And I just pictured <laughs> Yellow Jacket going, like, they're not here right now. <laughs> Corey, what was your favorite sound effect? Oh, that's going to be a tough one. Scree! You decide to go with scree Yep. That is the noise made several times by those snake-butted horses that Damien Hellstrom likes to ride around town on. Yep. Yeah, I also had that written down. I think my favorite was, I, and I had to reread this, Every time I saw it, I would just be like, wait, I did I see say, what I, hope, I thought I just said? I hope you say uh, it right. Clunt, mm-hmm. which is the noise it makes when Clea sees Steve's browser history and falls down. C-L-U-N-T. It's a weird sound noise. It is a weird sound noise. And it's one that I don't think I have ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Not bad. Yes. It reminds me of, do you remember that uh, Turkish action film, Tarkan and the Vikings? Of course. Yes. I think we all remember that movie. That classic. Uh, do you remember the name of the lead actor in that movie? Kurt. No, that's his dog. His dog was Kurt. It is not that far off from Kurt. It is K-U-N-T. Oh. Tolgar. Mm. Except in England, where it is, they're, they're like, we cannot have that name on something. Mm-hmm. So for British releases, they obviously had to change the name to K-U-N-T Bricks. <laughs> Bricks? B-R-I-X. My guess is they were told, that name is offensive. We can't have that in England. And Mr. Tulgar was just like, oh, okay, no problem. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Tulgar sounds too much like vulgar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but clunt. Pretty great. My other favorite sound effect, when Luke Cage throws a turd-licking shit weasel against the wall. It makes the noise, cram. <laughs> Good old cram. I really like cram as a as an onomatopoeia. That is a funny sound. Pretty good. I had some trouble with this one, so let's get it out of the way. In this issue, who had to be a sucker? Who had to, like the fat boys in Crush Groove, act in a way that didn't make sense with their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthered the plot? Yeah, this was a little tricky, too, and um, I had to go with Power Man. Ooh, why did you go with Power Man? Well, because some stranger calls him. Sure. And is like, hey, this is the Hulk. Can you come to this address and give us some help? And he's like, yeah, bullshit. And then Hulk's like, Doctor Strange, some other names. Here you go. And, you know, literally as he's walking there, Power Man's like, man. He says, I gotta be some kind of blamed fool swallowing this dude's rap. But when he started dropping names like Nighthawk and Doc Strange, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, this is the address, all right. Okay, I see what you're saying there. But in the previous panel to that, I think he makes a pretty good case. He is about to dismiss the call because he is too busy working on tracking down the Sons of Serpents. The who? The turd-licking shit weasels. (laughs) And once Bruce Banner, he's like, Oh, wait, that's what you're working on? That's what this is regarding? Okay, I'm going to track down this lead. 
At this point in his career, he's kind of a detective. So if somebody calls him and gives him a clue, I understand him tracking it down. Whether or not he believes explicitly what the person is saying. It pertains to a case he's working on. So I think that kind of makes sense. Mine I also have a workaround for. I went with Clea. In part because she has previously shown herself to be a much more competent magician than she is in this issue. Where telepathically contacting a couple of people seems to strain her powers. As I said, she probably saw Steve's browser history, so that explains that. But she is also hesitant and apprehensive about doing that so, which previously she has not shown that kind of hesitancy to using her powers. And as much as we see in Giant Size Defenders number one, she decides to just kind of on the spur of the moment, like Val is making small talk with her and she's just like, well, I can use my powers to send you into the past of uh, your new teammates. Let's do that. I think I will say that went horribly wrong, so maybe she learned her lesson from that. I think her hesitancy to use her powers in aid of the Defenders is not something that she has previously shown a tendency to do. That's fair, but it may also have something to do with the fact that the way in which she knew she would use her powers, or have to use them, is with something Steve most assuredly told her she should not under any circumstances do, because he knew... That he did not clear his browser history. <laughs> oh, Steve, you got to blast your cash. Clea. <laughs> it would be most dire if you were to ever use the Eye of Agamotto before I clear my browser history. Probably because of mystical world and thing. Look, just don't do it. <laughs> right. And so she was like, oh, I don't know. Okay. But I gotta do it. So I guess both of our suckas are imperfect in this. Honestly, I was tempted to go with Yellow Jacket again because, again, I kind of liked him in this issue. Mm. But th- that seemed, at this point, it's like, well, okay, I guess that is who he is when he is a defender. So I can't really call that out of character as he is portrayed in this comic book. Not perfect suckas, but... uh, Fair and balanced. Agreed. (laughs) That is the turd-licking shit weasel's motto. I thought so. (laughs) What were your favorite words in this issue? They're both really good speeches. There's really good caption work. There's really good phrases that various characters use. Which did you want to go with? All right. I I think I'll go with uh, a bit of dialogue that leads up to the first time that I can think of in history the the pronunciation of the word what the way that like we we hear a lot in media these days of what (laughs) (laughs) all right what page is that on that is a good question it's the one with the crazy faces uh (laughs) 22 okay (laughs) yeah it's interesting you should bring that up i have the words that immediately precede that damien hellstrom is using his magical powers to command the captured turd-licking shit weasel from earlier issues that the Defenders had captured into revealing the location of his secret base. So he starts to answer right away because he has no choice. He's being compelled. Answer. Yes, I must do as I am told. We have two places, two secret bases. And then follows by he gets a goofy look on his face and says, but who's on first? Mary had a little cat. She threw it away when it got fat. She eats no lean. The cupboard was full of bears. And that is the reaction to that statement is, what? <laughs> it is. The way that that word is written out is W-H-A-A-A-T 
question mark exclamation point. So, mm-hmm. what are at? What? what? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. I think it is a what? That is pretty good. We find out that uh, he was programmed to ha- basically have his mind break if he was under hypnosis. I wonder if it was maybe that he was programmed to have his mind, br- mind break if he spoke in rhyme. Because initially when he's answering the question, he's like, we have two places, two secret bases. And then that leads into him just like, but who's on first? Mary had a little cat. She threw it away when it got fat. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if like, maybe he's just like, okay, if you are being questioned, you are now mind programmed to try really badly to freestyle. <laughs> it's the beatnik algorithm. Oh boy. It is just terrible. But I did enjoy that bit of word salad. I just called it the page 22 word salad. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of later, better instances of that. In uh, Howard the Duck, I think it's number 11, there's a story arc where Howard the Duck is going insane. And there's that kind of word-free association that he uses in that to connote a kind of mental instability that I think he does really well. And it's not quite there on this one, but uh, I enjoyed enjoyed it still. It was Uh, good. I also liked Son of Satan. Damien Hellstrom had an exclamation that I enjoyed that was on page 23. Clea says, Eyes of Oshter. Damien Hellstrom says, By the Hadian Chimes. Bruce Banner says, Great Scott. And Luke Cage says, Sweet Sister. Mm-hmm. So I like that everybody has their moment. Except for Daredevil. He doesn't say shit. But okay. all of the other characters assembled are just like, Yeah, everybody, catchphrase time. Mm-hmm. I dug that. That was fun. Favorite panel. It's funny that you should mention the one where they're all going through their catches because that was also one that I listed under favorite panels. Oh, yeah? Yep. I just, yeah, I liked it that it was like everybody's chance to like zoom in on them and have them say their thing. I, I enjoyed that also. It was charming. I think my favorite overall panel, I liked the one that's on page 14 where Clea sees Steve's browser history and passes out. Mm-hmm. I thought that was well handled. There's something mystical going on, but it's nebulous enough that you can't tell exactly what it is. And I, th- I think it's really well done. I also liked the one that I call New Defenders on page 27, where it is the auxiliary members who have just been called into service, leaping into action. You get Damien on his snake-butted horses. You get Daredevil swinging into action. They're being led by the Hulk. And then Luke Cage is hanging onto the edge of the chariot. It's just really cool. Very I like it. action-packed dynamic. Indeed. I also like the crazy faces where that bad rhyme happened. I thought that was really well drawn. Yeah, he goes from fear and mesmerized to having this kind of goofy look on his face that is just like, oh, he snapped. Mm-hmm. Yep. Somebody done broke his brain. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Indeed. Best defender, worst offender. In this issue, who was the best defender? Man, this is getting kind of old, but our emerald friend sees somebody he cares about, about to get lit on fire, loses his shit, turns into the Hulk, and jumps out a window and goes and tries to save her. And he spurs everybody to action by doing so. Therefore, I had the Hulk as the best. I think I've had this person a few times too now, but I had Val. Mm. She did a good job. She snapped free of her bonds when none of her teammates were able to. And if it were not for the fact that the turd-licking shit weasels have a surprisingly inclusive policy towards women at that point, she would have just trounced them all. 
and she did a great job. I liked seeing her kick a little ass. It was fun, and I really liked the return of her one weakness, and uh, yeah, I had Valkyrie. Conversely, worst offender. You may not like this because you liked some words that he said. <laughs> okay. But I was very annoyed with Hank Pym in this issue because, like, Val takes off, and then he's like, ah, I can escape as well. Uh, bye, guys. <laughs> And he just, like, shrinks and takes off. Well, he tried to free... What's his face? He tried Did to free he Kyle. Like, he's like, oh, I'm pulling so hard. Oh, sorry. That's... I'm yeah, just, it seems like go. he could have maybe tried to wake up Steve. Mm-hmm. And he maybe could have tried to wake up Valkyrie like he, he again. He wanted to get out. He's like, I'm leaving these suckers. Yeah. But then he saw the Aquarii. Yuck. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he got what he deserved, man. Okay. But he here... He's trying to cut and run. Here, once again, That's is the reason why I could not choose him as... My worst offender. Oh, pipe down. You sound like the spoiled rich brat you are. Yeah, I know. That made it, that made <laughs> it really hard to pick him. I instead, man, we just, we had a rainbow of white privilege to choose from in this issue oh, for oh, worst oh. offender. We had Steve, who was unconscious the entire issue and unable to wake up. We have, I know he's not enough, a defender, in that he's not a superhero, but we have Jack Norris for all of the reasons I talked about earlier. We have Kyle for just generally being Kyle. I know it's a bit of a stretch to consider him a defender, but I'm going to go with Jack Norris. Because he displayed the attitude. Oh, hub. I, I hate him so much. I know you do. And but he rushed off into you're, action. You're bending the rules too much, man. All right, then I'm going to go with Steve. But really my choice <laughs> is Jack Norris. Because, man, you want somebody who just personifies the there's a phrase that i love he was born on third base and he thinks he hit a triple uh <laughs> and man is that jack norris fair enough the, but okay the I'm defender gonna, that does okay the, the defender that does the worst job in this issue is steve for his continuing to snooze the whole issue and not help anybody out oh it's a little weak friend he's in the whole issue it's not like he doesn't appear all right, I'm going to file that one away. Okay. And I will not lose any Cory points for picking somebody that sleeps through a story. Fair. All right. Also, he didn't clear his browser history. Yeah, bad That job, led to man. all kinds of problems. <laughs> Clea could have hurt herself passing out. We could have had Namor and Son of Satan together in a, in a bare shirt off. That would have been too much. You think it would have just been a big trident measuring contest? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Fair enough. Well... That exhausts, I believe, our traditional minutiae categories. Yes? Yes. So. Let's call it, uh, there's a right way and a wong way. In this right way and wong way, what was Wong's way in the year of our Lord, 1975, and the month of our Lord, June? Turns out, people think there is a right way and a wong way to watch a movie. Oh, and what's the Wong way? Well, it really depends who you talk to. Doctor Strange and Wong were having a debate about what would really be the proper way to set up the new part of the Sanctum Sanctimonious that they're working on together. Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit of a man cave thing sure. going on with, with the home theater system. Ooh. And they had really been enjoying watching movies, watching tapes, VHS tapes. Oh, Really? In 1975, they were watching VHS tapes. Steve Strange (laughs) read an article. Oh, do you think maybe he borrowed Dr. Doom's time machine? (laughs) He has some way to watch tapes. Okay. Anyway, they got to arguing. 
in he sent Wong off to to go buy this newfangled Betamax machine. Ooh, yeah, which which came out that year. You know, a lot of people consider that to have a superior picture to the VHS tapes. Steve Strange among them, hmm. pending the chronology works out. Yeah, can't, can't record on them, that's the problem. Uh, so, you know, begrudgingly, Wong does this and was then had to just sit through, like, Steve, no, look here, rewind! <laughs> like, <laughs> what end. were they watching? So, that's the thing. It was all shit that Wong did not care about whatsoever, and he had to get over it. He yep. had to, to, he was like, man, I need some good escapist business i need to not listen to steve anymore tell me about the superior picture quality went out went down to the theater and bought himself uh some tickets to see jaws oh how many tickets did he buy for himself to see jaws he bought himself a ticket to see jaws (laughs) and uh he really enjoyed the movie it was great yeah yeah had some popcorn like the shark pretty good yep like likes that richard dreyfus likes the richard dreyfus (laughs) That's what Wong was up to. Oh, very nice. And that was the Wong way to do things? I think that was the right way to watch a movie is without... Yeah, but it was the uh, Wong way. Oh. uh, Oh. Well, it's it's funny that you should mention film going, because I talked earlier about how before inadvertently creating the San Diego chicken, uh, Wong had been (laughs) in Los Angeles to attend the Academy Awards the previous year. Oh, yeah. During that, he made some friends. And one of those friends was Robert Altman. So he was hanging out with Robert Altman. Robert Altman was working on a new picture. He's like, Wong's like, hey, how about you come over to the Sanctum and we'll watch the early screening of, of your new picture. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see it. It sounds very exciting. It's this movie called Nashville that's about to come out. And so they sit down and they watch the movie and the defenders are out there hanging out and talking and they're watching it. And Wong had a pretty lukewarm reaction to it initially. You've just finished the screening room. And Robert Altman's like, well, what's your, what's your problem with the film? And Wong's like, people don't talk like that. And you listen, they all allowed each other to finish their sentences and their thoughts. <laughs> and Robert Altman's like, what are you talking about? And Wong's just like, listen. And props open the door and they hear the defenders in the other room. Anytime anybody tries to say something, Steve talks over them and cuts them off. And so Robert Altman went back and re-edited the sound on Nashville so that everybody's talking over each other all the time. And that was in part because that was the wrong way to do things. Uh And that is why Nashville was the successful film that it was and really did have everybody talking over each other in a way that kind of became certainly a a Robert Altman trademark, but uh, really affected the way that dialogue is done in Hollywood. And that is due in part to Wong and in part to the Defenders being rude as fuck. So much influence. Indeed, he's a very influential man, Wong. Mm. Nice. Likewise. Very good. Very good. And that's the deal, man. Thanks for listening in, everybody. It <laughs> um, <laughs> should be within the next week or so, I'm going to get as a Patreon bonus up the special episode that we recorded last Friday, where we watched Auto Man and an episode of Turbo Teen and did a little compare and contrast. It was a lot of fun to record. I... I'm curious if it'll be any fun to listen to. <laughs> I would like to add as a caveat, I believe it is impossible to watch Auto Man and Turbo Teen in the same evening without certain beverages. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, we'll see how it turns out. I haven't edited it yet. I believe that may take some doing. But uh, if you are a Patreon donor, then uh, you can check that out in the upcoming week. And 
If you are not a Patreon donor and would like to become one, you can do so at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. You will get to learn if Turbo Teen was indeed a real show or just some fever dream of <laughs> Hub's past. Indeed. And whether Auto Man was really Auto Man or whether Corey had some bad cheese <laughs> brought on by the heat-depressive brain. Bad cheese indeed. I'm combining, like, I think in Christmas Carol he thought maybe he ate some bad cheese and that's what the ghosts were, but then I was combining that with the Shakespeare is this a dagger I see before me, the handle towards my hand, come let thee clutch thee, I see thee not, but still I have thee, art thou fatal vision but a dagger of the mind brought on by the heat-oppressed brain? You know. Yeah, Auto-Man. Yeah, Auto-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, they're both real and we watched them. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at <laughs> ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you would like to leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook, I guess you can't really leave us a review on Facebook. You can just go on Facebook yeah, and say, like, just... you know, it's a great show. Tighten up the defense. Yeah, check it out. Five out of five stars. All the stars. I pooped my pants. That was that good. <laughs> it was that good. It was pants poopingly good. Whoa. Uh, yeah, you can write that in your uh, iTunes review if you want, too. Sure. Yeah. I don't think you guys pooped your pants. You seem like you got your stuff together. Yep. But if you did, hey, do what you feel, man. No judging. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.